open your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 9. We started last week, Who Needs Christmas? And we talked about the reality that in this day and age, uh, there are many, many traditions and things that we do during the holiday season. And none of them necessarily bad, uh, but just we realized last week, if we were to remove Christ from this holiday, would we even notice a difference? Or would we just continue to do all the many things we've already been doing uh, from the get-togethers to the gifts to all the things that we involve during this time of year. And so I asked it last week, and I want you to think about it again. What tradition, Christmas tradition, do you and your family do that you enjoy, that you look forward to every year? And so last week, we asked you guys that question. So if you answered last week, uh, I have the memory of a goldfish, so I'm not going to know who answered. But I'm going to take you on your Christian honor that you wouldn't answer again. And so is there anyone that wants to just real quick shout out what a favorite family Christmas tradition is that you do that is something you just enjoy doing every year? Give me something. Okay, family get-togethers. What else? Okay, the Christmas Eve service at church. Yes. I am so thankful that Brenda, filled with the Holy Spirit, made such a declaration. And I, what she meant to say was every family should have the tradition of the Christmas Eve service. And uh, no, honestly, and I, I, I'm joking about that, but honestly, um, I've had a few people in our church, a few families that have said that since we started doing this, I mean, years and years and years ago, we've done a Christmas Eve service for many years now. Pastor Tom uh, began doing that when he became the pastor here back in the 90s. And uh, over the time of doing these services, people have told me, man, it's, it is literally a family thing that we do. Like we plan on Every year being a part of the Christmas Eve service, it's a, now it's a tradition that we do year in and year out. And so that gets me really excited to hear that. So hopefully you will join us for that. Um, one more. Someone else. Yeah, Bill. Okay, yes, because Matthew's birthday is Christmas Day, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so remember that when you guys are doing your Christmas cards and gifts this year, throw Matthew a little something, uh, you know. Uh, he, I'm sure he's always, that's the, the kid awkwardly waving in the sound booth right now. Um, if you're not sure who Matthew is, he's, you know, he said something about his mom this morning, but I think he's taking that back now. I'm just, you know, mom and dad, no, he didn't really, I'm just teasing. No, he's always willing to take gifts though, right, Matthew? Always willing to take a free hand. Yeah, there you go, yeah. Gas money's good, you know, electronics. But no, we have a lot of family traditions and so some of them are involving Christ in the church. Some of them are just fun things you do that don't necessarily you connect with Christ and his birth. Uh, it's just something that you do that's fun. I know some of you guys have uh, family Christmas parties where you do like ugly, ugly sweater parties or you do different things like that or you do different things that are just fun things to do. Those are all good and great and keep doing them and do more of them. But in the reality of Christmas, if we take away Christ... We, as followers of Christ, of his church, should notice a difference in the holiday itself, should notice something is missing. And so what we're asking over the next couple of weeks is, in the midst of all of this stuff that is Christmas, who really needs Christmas? Because couldn't we just keep going and not even involve Christ? We could still have a lot of fun. If we're being honest, I mean, let's be real, we could have a lot of fun at a family get-together and not even mention Christ. It's possible, Right? It's not okay, and it's not how it should be as a follower of Christ, but it's possible. So who really needs Christmas? Well, last week we found out that those that really need Christmas are those who are desperate. 
that those who are really desperate in a desperate situation need Christmas. And we looked at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and we looked at some of these titles given to the Messiah. And we talked about how he is a wonderful counselor, the mighty God. We went over to Luke chapter 1, and we talked about Mary's praise to God, to, to the Son of God for the birth of the Messiah. And she declares that he is her mighty God. And she gives many, many reasons. We looked at 12 reasons last week how we can turn our worry into worship when we're in a desperate situation. Because ultimately, if you are in a desperate spot, you need Christmas. And so this morning, I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Again, last week we discovered that those that are desperate need Christmas because, as Isaiah says, Christ is a wonderful, he is, he is wonderful, he is the counselor, he is also the mighty God. I wanted to share this real quick before we read the verse together in regards to this phrase, the mighty God. J. Vernon McGee said about the name mighty God this, and I thought it was perfect. It says, that little baby lying helpless on Mary's bosom held the universe together. That's a mighty God. That's the God, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ that we read about here in Isaiah chapter 9 when we read mighty God. And so let's look at Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Let's read this and look at this and see how it unfolds in our lives as we continue to worship him and discover who really needs Christmas. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This summary of the Messiah is so amazing. It was written 800 years before Christ's birth. 800 years Isaiah prophesies about who Christ will be. And in its structure, in its entire setup, we see a beautiful picture, not just of his titles and of his names given to him, but also of his, of his deity, of his humanity. And I love this verse for that reason, because we talked about it last week. Before we get too wrapped up into what God does for us, let's just be thankful that God came to us. And we've saying about these beautiful Christmas songs. And I, I told the praise team when we were working on some things, I said, man, let's do as much Christmas music as possible. Let's just really kind of just every, every Sunday do as much as we can. Great Christmas music. I love the Christmas music. Now, some of you are a little ridiculous with the Christmas music. I'm just going to be real for a moment. It is okay to listen to Christmas music the Friday after Thanksgiving. All the way through till Christmas. Even the week after. Go for it. Have fun. Some of you started listening to Christmas music in October. And I'm not one to say that you need medical attention. But I'm just going to say that if it's still 60 degrees outside, 50 degrees outside, and you're listening to Christmas music, there's some wires that are not connected correctly. I'm just going to say that. So you might want to go get that checked out. I feel so bad for Thanksgiving. Like, poor Thanksgiving. First, the Black Friday stuff just consumed the whole week. We got Black Friday sales going on in September. I don't know how this works, what's going on there. So poor Thanksgiving gets lost in all the shopping, and then Christmas just completely dominates. Christmas has a whole month. Thanksgiving's got like two days. Leave Thanksgiving alone. Let it have its glory, okay? I mean, even the day after, have some turkey sandwiches and just be like, ah, Thanksgiving, and then turn on your Christmas music, okay? 
I'm all for Christmas music. I'm all for celebrating this time of year. And as we sing about this Messiah that came, this glorious Savior, we can talk about the fact that he came to save us from our sins, to redeem us, to be our perfect Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb of God that died on the sinner's cross, was buried and rose again. Man, we can praise God for all of that. But before we jump to just what we get out of the deal, let's just take a moment and just say, God, thank you for coming to us. Thank you for the grace that you extended to us, that you even were born in that stable, laid in that manger, that you were born to Mary and Joseph, a teenage girl. I mean, just take it a moment and just say, God, thank you for coming to us when you didn't have to. And some of us, we get this mindset that we think that God was supposed to just come and not just how it was supposed to be. That it was, uh, we deserved him coming to us. No, no, the Bible's very clear. We did not want him here. In our sin and in our wickedness, in our deceitful and wicked heart, we reject him. And as an enemy, we raise our fist to him. And remember, the word of God is very clear. The Bible does not say that God was our enemy. The Bible says that we were the enemies of God. And yet he came. In the midst of all of that, he came. And he was laid in that manger. And as J. Vernon McGee so well said, holding the universe together as an infant, and so let's praise him this morning that he came to us. In this verse, we see in the very beginning this amazing structure of Isaiah's prophecy. Look at the beginning few words again. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. I love that because here we see the deity and the humanity of our Savior. The humanity we see that a child is born. But then it says a son is given, which implies his deity you see, Jesus didn't come into existence that amazing night that really wasn't such a silent night, right? I mean, if you think about the scene and think about what was going on there and all these shepherds showing up and just hooping and hollering through the city about what they had just heard from the angels and what they've seen, that's not a very silent night. But Jesus didn't, didn't come into existence in that moment. He took on flesh in that moment. But Jesus has always been as part of the eternal Godhead. And so a son being given refers to the Son of God being given to mankind as a gift of his grace. But he was born of a virgin. Here we see the amazing connection between the humanity of the Messiah and the deity of our Savior. In this next title I want to look at as we discover who really needs Christmas. We talked about the wonderful counselor. We talked about the mighty God. But look at that next title there, the everlasting Father, the everlasting Father. So who really needs Christmas? Well, those who need Christmas are those that need the blessing of a father, the relationship with a father, that love and that connection. And if we're being honest, all of us need that connection today. Let's do this. Let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to speak. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your grace in our lives. Lord, we ask that as we gather together today and as we worship you, that you would be our focal point, that you would be the one that we look to, that we would recognize and honor you for your grace, for your compassion and your mercy. Lord God, that you came to this world over 2,000 years ago, born of a virgin, 
Thank you for coming to us when we were so undeserving of your love. And we pray that as we worship you this morning, and as we look into these titles today and these descriptions of who you are and what you came to do, I pray that we would see you as our, truly our everlasting Father. I pray that if anyone in this room right now needs the blessing of a father, that they would surrender to you and allow you to lead them and guide them and comfort them. And so, Father, for the ones that know you, I pray that they would take this message to those around them. That this isn't just for us in this room, but this is for those at work. This is for those at school. This is for those in our neighborhood that couldn't make it today, that didn't want to come today. And, Father, may we go be the church to them. May we hear what you have for us in your word. Soak that up so that we can give it out to those around us. Father, we thank you for your love and your affection. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you see this phrase here, the everlasting Father, some confusion might appear here when we read this title. And we might ask the question, first and foremost, is Isaiah saying that Jesus and the Father are the same, that Jesus the Son and God the Father are really one and the same. Again, this causes some confusion about the Trinity and what the Trinity really is. But I want to declare to you that there is no contradiction here between this verse and the weight of Scripture. There is no confusion here really when you understand what Scripture teaches about this beautiful Godhead called the Trinity. So to understand, first and foremost, what we're talking about here, I want to kind of break this down a little bit, give you a little bit of background, and then we'll kind of unfold this and unpack this and how it practically applies to our lives. But I don't want you to leave confused this morning, and I want you to leave kind of misunderstanding. So what does Isaiah mean when he says the everlasting Father? How can Jesus and the Father have the same title? First and foremost, the Trinity is described as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Basically, if you had to break it down this way, it's not like an egg. It's not like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Okay? I don't know if you've ever heard this, some ridiculous ways to try to describe the Trinity. It doesn't work. Okay? Because a peanut butter and jelly sandwich is not the Trinity. It's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, I like a good PB&J like anyone else, but it's not the best representation of the Trinity. So what is the greatest representation of the Trinity? There isn't one other than what we find in God's Word. Because ultimately, our small little human brains cannot fully comprehend all the vastness that is the Godhead. And that's completely okay. Let that be okay. Some of you are like, oh no, i got to figure it out. No, no, no. Don't try to figure it out. Just look at Scripture. Take what it says and say, man, praise God for His amazing glory. That He is the Trinity. He is existing as a triune God. Here's how I would describe the Trinity, and this is kind of a kind of a paraphrase or a summary from uh, Charles Ryrie's theological studies, and kind of how he describes the Trinity in a graph. And I, I didn't want to put the graph on the screen, or anything. I just wanted to describe it to you, and then we'll kind of go from there. Basically, the Son is God, but the Son is not the Father or the Spirit. The Spirit is God, but the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. And the Father is God, but the Father is not the Spirit or the Son. So why then, if they are three distinct personalities in what we call the Godhead, the Trinity, they're all equally God, but equally distinct in their own personalities, their own positions in the Godhead, then why then does Isaiah call Jesus the Son, the one-born Messiah, 
So we're not talking about the Father, God the Father. We're talking about God the Son because he says a child is born. Well, Jesus is the only one that was born that fits this description. Then why does he say the everlasting Father? The best way to translate this title is really the Father of Eternity. The Father of Eternity. He is the creator of all things, even time, the ages, and the purpose of all things. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. John says in John chapter 1, verse 3, All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He tells us that in the beginning the Son was there in creation. In the book of Genesis, we see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all equally involved in creation. And here, Jesus is given the title of Everlasting Father, or the Father of eternity, of the ages, of all of time, and all of creation. Also, Paul is writing in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, when he says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. So let's just stop for a moment and let that sink in. Because if you are at a point in your life right now where you feel a little overwhelmed, you feel a little bit discouraged, a little bit kind of, I don't know what to do, I feel a little hopeless, your Savior, your Messiah, is the creator of all things. Nothing that was made would not have been made without Jesus. Everything that is created was created by Jesus, by your Savior who says he saved you and redeemed you and has a relationship with you. And then you go to him with these problems and you think he can't handle them. Paul says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. So reality check, can he handle your bad day? Can he handle your checkbook when it doesn't quite look like you wish it looked? Yes. Can he handle that rude person that was mean to you, that you want to be really mean to, but you also want to be loving and gracious to, and you go to him and say, God, I don't know what to do. Can he give you the strength to do the right thing? Absolutely he can. Man, we sell our Savior short all the time, and we don't even mean to. We just get so wrapped up in our own thinking, and we think, oh, God can't handle this, or God can't do that. Man, he holds all things together. And he is your Savior. He is the Father of all eternity, of all ages, of time itself. Man, I don't know if there's anything more mind-blowing than the God that created time. Taking on flesh and submitting himself to the very time that he created. It's amazing when you think about all that Jesus did when he came to this world. And he is the everlasting Father. You see, Jesus is the originator of eternity. To the Jews, the term father means source or originator. Source or originator. This is why Satan is called the father or the originator of lies. Because he is the origin of lies. He is the beginning of lies. And therefore, the Jews would say he is the father of all lies. Adam is also seen. Go over to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, Adam is seen as the father of all living as well as all dying and sin. Satan is the father of lies because he is the originator of lies. Adam is seen as the father of the living but as well as the dying and sin. 
Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Who is this one man that was the the conduit of sin from him to the rest of humanity? It is the man Adam in Genesis. So was Adam a real figure then, or was he just a figurative kind of representation of humanity? Paul seems to believe that historical evidence would support that he was one real man, a real human being that existed really in time. And so if Paul's quoting Genesis as early as chapters 1 and 2 and talking about Adam in a real sense as a real man who really sinned, then man, I, I think maybe we can give a little bit of a weight to then the rest of the creation accounts and actually take what Scripture says about creation as fact. Well, no, but you don't know, brother. I mean, a lot of people, they don't believe that stuff. They don't believe that's how it happened. They don't believe it can happen that way. Here's the reality check. I don't really care what other people believe. All I care about is what does the Bible teach about it? And the Bible seems to declare, Paul's word says, Adam was a real man. If he wasn't a real man, how could he have sinned? And why does it say one man, not all men? It identifies one man. Because the rest of the text, we're going to find out there's another man that's mentioned. The God-man, Christ Jesus, who we know was really one man that really existed. But here we see Adam as being the father or the originator of sin and really of death. This is honestly so crucial because if you want to gain eternal life, then you must get it from the one that is the source of all eternity. Jesus Christ himself, he is the father of all eternity. He is the father or originator of our faith and salvation. Romans chapter 5 verse 18, look at it with me. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men. There's that, that idea of one being judged, Adam being judged. Came upon all men to condemnation, even so. And this is the good part. See, the part about Adam messing up, man, we don't, that part's kind of sucky, right? Like, let's just be honest. You read that and you're like, oh, Adam. Can I give you a little bit of an encouragement? You would have done the same thing Adam did. Most likely. Some of you are like, oh, no, brother. No, no, no. I would have, I would have corrected my wife. There's so much to say about that. I'm going to let that just lie out there a little bit. Let's just be honest that you would do the same thing Adam did. Because if your wife looked at you and said, oh, honey, mm, this fruit's so good. You want some? You'd be like, yes, dear. Okay? Because men, listen, can we just, we're not real bright. Okay? We're not. And so just admit it. Okay? You would have done the same thing Adam did. And so we read that we're like, ah, oh, man, why couldn't he have done the right thing? But look what the verse goes on to say. Here's the blessing in the verse. Even so, meaning in the same way that one man sinned and brought judgment, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Man, if Adam is the one that sinned and brought condemnation, who then is the one that was righteous and that brought the free gift of life? 
the originator, the author, the, the one that authors our very faith and our salvation and our eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ is who is being referenced here. And so when you want eternal life or you think, man, I want eternal life forever with Jesus, you can't get it on your own. You can't get it from the church. You can't get it from reading the Bible, just reading it alone. You can't get it from a tithe check. You can't get it from doing these good works. You get it from Jesus Christ because he is the one. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the source of all eternity. And so nowadays, man, many people say, oh, there's all kinds of ways to get to heaven. There's all kinds of ways to, to, to find salvation. But the Bible is pretty clear. If he is the originator of eternal life, then he is the author of eternal life. So here we see very clearly that Jesus and the Father are not one and the same. Isaiah was not pointing to God the Father. He was pointing to Jesus as his position in the Trinity, as the Father of eternity. The one that, as Paul later says and John later says, was the creator of all these things. Still distinct in the Trinity, not one and the same. And so now how does that apply to us practically today? How does that make a difference? How does that affect us knowing those things I mean, at the end of the day, who really needs Christmas? It's great to think about him being the eternal father, but why does that affect me or how does that affect me? Well, to be honest, people who need Christmas are people who need the acceptance of a father. The acceptance of a father. Now, for some, this idea might cause you some discomfort. For some, the idea of Jesus being a father figure is hard because our earthly fathers were not good or positive influences in your life. Let me just be real for a moment. If you're here and you had a father that was not a good influence, not a Christ-like example, not a positive role model in your life, then the idea of seeing Jesus as our father figure, this father of eternity, this originator or source of eternal life, that might cause you some uneasiness. You might really wrestle with that and think, you know what, if, if my earthly father was like this and he's supposed to be a father, then I don't want anything to do with him. I want to encourage you, and I want to comfort you, that through Christ, by putting your faith in him, your acceptance is full. He receives you as his son and as his daughter. Some of us struggle with trusting Christ because we did not receive acceptance from our earthly fathers. We had to be on a very conditional basis. Our fathers accepted us and loved us when we did what they wanted us to do. When we pleased them, then they loved us. When we displeased them, then they were harsh and cold and indifferent to us because they were working off a conditional love. And let me tell you and guarantee you by the word of God, God the Father and his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of eternities, eternity does not work that way. Does God's heart break when we sin? Does God, is God displeased when we violate his law? Yes. But does his love ever cease? No. Does his acceptance ever stop? No. Is his grace ever exhausted? No. But he accepts us and he receives us just as we are by his grace. And then he begins to change us and mold us and shape us. And if you grew up with a dad that was more of a conditional thinking, more of a you do this or I do that or just a harsh man, I'm, I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hands, but some of you maybe had very rush or harsh dads in your life, that they were just kind of just, I mean, they worked hard and they were good guys, but they were just mean sometimes. Maybe somebody in here had a dad that actually went a little too far with the discipline. 
that took it just a little too far. And, and man, that scarred you, and that you're left with that now. Man, listen, I know your dad may not have been perfect, but if we're being real, no, nobody's perfect. I'm not a perfect dad standing before you today. I don't do everything right. I was just sitting the other night with some other guys, and I said something about, they said something about like not figuring out parenting real well. And I looked at a guy who's got grown children in his 30s. And I said, when do you figure out parenting? And he said, I don't know. Let me know if you find someone that's got it figured out. And I said, oh, come on now. And he said, I've made a ton of mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes. It's not about being perfect. Listen, if you had a dad that was like that, I'm not here to tell you that it doesn't matter because it does matter. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Jesus is the perfect father figure in your life. And he will never forget you. He will never forsake you. He will never exhaust his efforts to redeem you and chase after you and come to you in your dark, darkest and deepest hour. Some people think that either we aren't good enough or God won't accept me because I'm not good enough. So since my earthly father wouldn't accept me, how could Jesus accept me? Because Jesus accepts you based on what Jesus did for you, not on what you do for Jesus. That's the difference. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you've been struggling with that in any way, shape, or form, I've, I've shared my testimony before. But my dad left when I was really, really young, maybe two years old. I'd never met the man. But everything I heard about him, I did not like what I heard. I mean, just abusive to my mom and, and stole money and all kinds of crazy stuff. And for a long time, I hated this man that I never met. My mom would tell me stories one time. She was pregnant with my older brother, and he shoved her down some steps and broke her leg. Try telling a 14-year-old boy that, about something that hurt your mom that way. I used to, I really, before, when I didn't really understand prayer, I wasn't a Christian. I used to pray. I said, God, just give me five minutes with the man. That's all I need. Five minutes. But you know what? The Lord had to break me of that. Because when I first started learning more and more about the Christian faith and I received Christ as my Savior, and then someone said, God wants to be your father. Man, that brought up feelings of abandonment. Well, my father left. My father didn't love. But see, I have a stepdad that came into my life when I was about seven years old, and he showed me what it was to be a man, to love his family. He's not perfect. Man, we grew up in a strict home. Like, you know, you ever hear kids say, when the commercial comes on? If I would have thought that, the pain, right, the discipline would have come quick. You didn't tell my parents when the commercial comes on. If they said, hey, go do that, it was, you got it, right? Some of you, you must not know what I'm talking about because some of you are like, that's so weird. But you know what? I'm so thankful for that because I respected my parents because of that. Because respect was expected of me. I gave it. And they weren't perfect, but man, I was so thankful for a man that showed me what it was to be a dad. To be a man that loved his family, that did whatever for them. And so for me, when I first got saved, it was really a hard thing to do to figure out how do I wrestle with this and how do I unpack this idea that God wants to be a father, but I've got this weird view of dads and I don't even know. And then I realized, man, but he's not like anything I've ever experienced because he is the perfect and good and loving heavenly father. And so if you're here and you're struggling with that, 
and you want to unpack that some more, please see me this week. Talk to me, call me, text me, email me, whatever. I'd love to talk to you more about that. But listen, he wants to be your loving heavenly father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the father of all eternity, and he is good. And he has a purpose and a plan for you. You see, Christ accepts all who trust in him. Romans 10.13 tells us that Jesus as Savior accepts every person who turns from their sin and surrenders to him as Savior. He does not require you to get cleaned up first or prove yourself to be accepted. It's once we turn our lives over to him that he begins to change us into his image and his likeness. You don't have to fight for him to love you. You don't have to wonder if he loves you today as much as he did yesterday. Some earthly dads struggle with communicating love and approval to their kids. And I am the same way. It's true. Dads, granddads, you guys can relate to this. It's hard to consciously think I need to approve and show my kids I love them. Because sometimes as men, here's what a man thinks. Well, I told you I love you last week. It ain't changed. Why I got to keep telling you? I'll tell you what. I'll tell you if something changes. How about that? So just work under the assumption I love you unless I tell you I don't. Then we're good. You might think, that's the stupidest thing. That's how a man's brain works. I told you, we're not real bright. And sometimes I can translate into feelings of, well, he doesn't love me. My dad doesn't accept me. Man, but listen, we need to work hard at this, but understand that God is not like me. God is not like you, Dad. He is perfect, and he will always love, and he will always communicate his love in the most effective way at the most effective time. See, people who need Christmas need the acceptance of a father, but also people who need Christmas finally need the compassion and the discipline of a father. See, acceptance does not mean everything you do is right. Acceptance means even when you mess up, I still love you, but there's a consequence for that choice. That's what God shows us in his word. The term here of this idea of the everlasting father, the eternal father, also carries the idea that the Messiah will care for them. Isaiah touches on this later in chapter 40, verse 10. So go back to Isaiah, chapter 40. I know I had you guys go all the way to the New Testament. But go back to Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse 10. Love this. Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse 10. Not only is Jesus the originator and the source of eternal life and eternity itself, but he also here is described as having compassion and care for his people. Isaiah 40 and verse 10. Behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for, that, for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And what images come to your mind when you read these terms, when you read these things here? He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. John chapter 10 says he is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. What did Jesus compel Peter to do through the rest of the New Testament? Just feed my sheep. Jesus was saying, I demonstrated this love for these people before you. Now you go and repeat that love for these people as you live it out. 
It's this idea of someone that's caring and compassionate, someone that's there for them. As the source of our faith and eternal life, he is also the source of our satisfaction and fulfillment. And I said it before, all this stuff at Christmas is great. But the true fulfillment, the true joy comes from including Christ in everything. And go to him, enjoy him, enjoy his presence in your life. Because he is the source of not just eternal life, but fulfillment and satisfaction. He feeds his sheep. He feeds us what we need. He provides and he cares for us. He's compassionate for us. I love what Isaiah also says in chapter 63, verse 16. I'm just going to read it to you. Doubtless, thou art our father, though, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. Again, this is referencing Jesus, the Messiah. He is the redeemer. He is the one from everlasting. And he says, listen, though everyone else forgets us, everyone else turns away, everyone else abandons us, you will never leave us. Because you are from everlasting, and you will be for everlasting. You are our Redeemer. Everyone else can fade away, but there is one name that lasts forever, and that is the Father of eternity, Jesus Christ. But if we're being honest here, a father cannot show true compassion without also showing a time of correction. Jesus, as our Savior, desires for us to be all that he knows we can be in this life by his grace However, as any good earthly father would do, Jesus will correct us when we act or live in a way that would not be in our best interests for his glory. This fatherly discipline is a part of our Godhead. It's part of the Trinity. It's part of the character of God. As seen in Scripture often, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees to his conversation with Peter after his denial. We also see this principle in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. We're not going to read it for time's sake, but I encourage you to jot it down. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. This is where the writer of Hebrews compares earthly correction with heavenly, heavenly correction. This is carried by the Spirit through the Word of God to His church. When I live or act in a way that is contrary to the things of God, God as a loving and compassionate Heavenly Father will come to me and show compassion and grace and mercy, but also will bring correction when and where it's needed. Because no earthly father would let their child to allow them to live in a way that would harm them and be seen as good. I live on M21. If I told Anthony, hey, yeah, 21, sure, go play. Have a blast. Because I love you, you know. I accept you. Okay? Nobody would say, man, now, Pastor John, that's a good dad right there. You'd be calling the authorities. Okay? He let his child play in the middle of M21. Because I'm not, that's not a good fatherly thing to do. However, when you put boundaries around a child, when you encourage them with the understanding of why things are the way they are and why you're trying to help them and correct them and encourage them for better changes and choices, it's not so that, oh, man, look how good a dad I am. Anybody ever go to a restaurant with their little one and the kids start crying, like maybe six-month-old kid, start just bawling their eyes out? Anyone have this happen in the middle of a restaurant? Raise your hand. Have this happen to you? Okay. Some of you aren't raising your hands. I don't, wow, I need to get a parenting book from you because my kids cried a lot at that age. First-time parents, what do you do when your kid starts crying in the middle of a busy restaurant at like six weeks old, six months old, something like that? I'm a good dad. I promise I don't beat my children, right? You, all of a sudden you feel like you're the worst parent in the world because your kid's crying in the middle of a restaurant. 
I don't know about you, but we, we went through that whole phase. Then Josiah came along. He cried, like, get over it. The people were like, I can't believe you're a kid crying. You want to take him home? You want to deal with him? No, I'm just kidding. That's not how that went. <laughs> Here, take my baby. Okay, so. But listen, when you realize that, sometimes you need to step into that child's life and give a form of correction that they need, that they are requiring. It doesn't mean, and, and listen, I'm not here to tell every parent how to parent. That's not my job as a pastor. You're the parents. Okay? It's your obligation to raise your child in a Christ-like home and to, to train them up in the things of the Lord that when they're old, they won't depart from it. That's your obligation. My job as a pastor and our job as a church is to come alongside you and help you in any way we can. And I just want to praise God real quick for our amazing children's ministries here and our teen ministry. And every week... People are volunteering to work with your children and your grandchildren to instruct them in the things of the Lord, to encourage them in the things of God. And man, we are so blessed with great leaders that love these kids. Man, every Wednesday night when I get to see these kids just so fired up this last Wednesday, we did store. Man, we had like three and a half tables filled with stuff. And it was so cool to see all these kids earning these Bible bucks and just getting so pumped up for the things of the Lord and just excited our student ministry, just loving on these kids. Because, listen, at the end of the day, we need to encourage them and show them compassion and show them grace. But as a student or someone that worked in student ministry a long time, there was many a time that we had to go to someone and give a little correction. Get a hold of a parent or a grandparent and say, hey, we need to have a conversation. We see some things and we're really concerned about and we want to come alongside you and help in whatever way we can. And that's what God does for us by the working of the Holy Spirit. When you open up the Word of God and you begin to be revealed about some things that you're doing, and God is kind of lovingly saying, this is not good for you. This is going to hurt you. This is going to destroy that relationship. This is going to do damage in a way that you can't understand. So I'm going to try to stop you as best I can or encourage you to make a different decision. And we need that correction because, listen, along with compassion comes correction. Because I believe if we're really compassionate for someone, we'll do whatever we can that they are blessed and have the best life possible. Meaning walking with Christ, not necessarily stuff. And so God, through Jesus Christ, made available to us salvation. And in that, we were connected with the originator, the source of eternal life. And he's our everlasting father, our redeemer, who shows us acceptance through Christ when we put our faith in him, but also shows us compassion as a heavenly father would. And so if you are looking for acceptance, if you're longing for acceptance, for a connection with the one who spans all of eternity, then you need Christmas. A reminder that 2,000 years ago, a redeemer was born who is the source and originator of eternal life, and he desires to know you personally. If you feel abandoned or forgotten, know that he is there for you. Everyone else can fade away, but he will never leave you. And I told you guys, my testimony, when I was a 16-year-old kid receiving Christ, that was the biggest breakthrough for me, that he never leaves us. Because up to my, that point in my life, man, so many people had left. So many people had left. My, my earthly dad, I told you, had left. My biological father, my stepdad, not too long before that, actually kicked me out of the house. Sent me to live with my mom. Not too long after that, my mom kicked me out of her house to go back with my stepdad. I mean, it's a crazy thing when your mom, under the influence of alcohol, at 2 in the morning, throws a coffee pot across the kitchen and says, get out. 
And then someone tells me, but Jesus loves you and God wants to be your father. And then we're called a family. Those words didn't have good connotation for me. Father and family. I didn't know what family was. But man, then Jesus got a hold of my heart and the Holy Spirit began to open my eyes with some things and I realized, man, this is like nothing I've ever experienced and it's so much better. And now, praise God, my mom rededicated her life to the Lord before she uh, moved up here. She rededicated to the Lord, was in Bible studies and stuff, went home to be with the Lord in 2007. My stepdad received Christ in 2003. We have an amazing relationship. My family is, is, is blessed. Now, we're not perfect, but man, it's so much better. And it's all because of the influence of Christ. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you're longing for the acceptance of a father then Christmas is for you. And if you're longing for that compassion and that correction that we all need, then Christmas is for you because he is the everlasting father. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer as we spend just a short time in invitation? As you bow your heads there where you are, and we're just going to take a short time of prayer and reflection. I truly believe that, that, that in Christ we see the blessing, the guarantee of eternal life. We see all that God wants to do through our lives because he is our heavenly father. Jesus is our everlasting father. And he gives us, they give us the Holy Spirit to indwell us the moment of salvation so that we can know this amazing Godhead this amazing trinity, that we can know the acceptance of a father as we put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. And so here's what I want to encourage you with. If there's anyone here that is, is battling with this in any way, that you struggle seeing God in this light, seeing him as good, that he accepts you, that in Christ you are completely accepted, but also in Christ there will be times of correction that he brings into our lives by the working of the Holy Spirit, that there are times that he'll show us greater compassion we've, than we've ever received. And his mercy and his grace will be poured upon our lives because he is a good and loving father figure. Then I want to encourage you to come this morning and just bow a knee and just say, God, I need that in my life. I need to believe those things are true. But secondly, if you see those things in your life, then maybe you want to come and say, God, thank you for being the source of eternal life. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the originator of eternal life and offering it to me through salvation. Thank you for your grace that I can know you. Thank you for your compassion and your correction in my life. Because I know that when you correct me and you guide me and you lead me, it's for your glory and my blessing. And so however God is speaking to you, maybe you would just come in just a moment, just bend the knee at these stairs in the front and just spend the time with him in prayer, maybe there in your seats. Whatever God is doing, would you just respond to him? And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've never personally put your faith in him, I don't know what's holding you back, but I'm guaranteeing you his grace and his forgiveness is for you. It can cover your sins. You can find forgiveness and eternal life. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. It doesn't matter what you did this morning. What matters is what are you going to do right now with the knowledge you have that putting your faith in Christ will forgive you of all sins as you surrender your life to him. What are you going to do with that knowledge? What are you doing right now? And how will you respond? Will you trust him this morning as Savior? 
Maybe you know him as Savior. Will you trust him as the source of your faith, the source of your eternal life, and allow him to lead you because he is good? Whatever God is doing, however God is leading, would you just respond? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be glorified, that we would respond to you in faith and obedience. We thank you for being the Father of all eternity, the creator of all things, and that when all else fades away, you are the one that stands ever true, consistent, and constant in our lives. That you will never leave us or forsake us. That you are our redeemer. And you are from everlasting to everlasting. And may we praise you this morning for all that you are. All that you have done. And all that you're going to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we are led in a song of invitation? Would you respond? Do you want to come and pray and just thank him for all that he is? As your heavenly father, your earthly father, maybe he wasn't? Come and respond and praise Him this morning.